I don't know if any of you have ever been caught up in a blizzard, a, a whiteout storm. We don't, have, we don't have snow in South Africa. So unless you've traveled, you would never have had that. When Louise and I were in the States and we stayed in, um, in Boston for a while, um, just up from uh, the Massachusetts uh, state is a state called Maine, and they had what they called white squalls, where literally you'd be driving along and, and a squall would just fall upon the highway and you could see nothing um, for 40, 50, a couple of minutes, uh, 40, 50 seconds, a couple of minutes, and you, there were often accidents and reports of massive car pileups because you could just literally see nothing. Lee, why don't you put up the next slide? Um, you know, this is a picture of, of, of what a, a whiteout storm looks like. You can't see much in front of you. Maybe a sandstorm, the next one, is, is a picture in the Middle East. No? Next one. Sorry. Now, what happens is, is I was on a, um, when I worked for Deloitte, I, I worked in my articles. I did an audit in Whitbank, well, Middleburg, the Middleburg Mine, Duva Mine. And uh, one of the times traveling back from there, we used to go stay there for the week and drive back because it was quite a decent distance. And the one day I got in my car, I'm on my own, and I'm driving back home after the week's audits work and tired and kind of really wanting to get back to my family. And I'm probably about 10 minutes into the journey, and this dust storm as well as rain just hits the particular highway that we were on. And I could not, I literally could not see the front of my car. Now, I've heard people say that. And I'm going, oh, please, I've been in mist and I can see, you know, 10, 15 meters ahead of me. But I, I could not see the front. I could not see anything outside of my windows. And I thought, what do I do? I mean, I've got, I know these cars behind me because before this thing came, there were a whole bunch of cars behind me and these cars in front of me. Are they going to stop? I better not stop. I don't even know where the side of the highway is. And so I got onto the cat eyes. And at least I need, you know, you know you at least on the highway put the hazards on, put whatever lights I could on, make sure that people could see me. But clearly, if I couldn't see the front of my car, <laughs> the person's only going to see me. And it's, it's a scary moment. What a lot of guys do in the States and that, and I'm really getting frustrated. Oh, okay, there, it's working now. Is that they actually put a rope from like their garage to their, to their house. You know, because it might be 100 meters away. And they make sure that there's a rope there because if a squall comes down or if a particular whiteout uh, blizzard comes, they won't know where to get back to their home. There have been people who are frozen to death in these whiteouts. And they've been found a couple of meters from the front door. Literally meters away from safety and security. Now, why do I tell you all of that? Because we live in a world that's full of blizzards and storms. We've had one this week within our country. We have them personally. We have them across... Whatever lifespan you, you, you've lived, you've had plenty of whiteouts, plenty of business, plenty of sandstorms. And often we, we, we can't make it back to safety and security. And we do that, we have the same thing with our spirituality. Many of us get caught out in a blizzard, in a whiteout, and we can't make our way back and we land up dying spiritually. But God has given us a rope. These ropes are the things that people hold on to to bring them back to the place of their front door and their safety. And God has given us a number of these things. And two of them in particular is around a daily office and a Sabbath. I don't know about you, but you know, there's people around you that you know, there's so many demands around us from our families, from our kids, from work, from all of these things. And, and when I must say demands, they're not always negative demands, but there's just this need to, 
you know, give this child some time, you know, your, your spouse time, your, the work, the, all of this and church life. And you just feel like there's sometimes you just get into this whirlwind and you, you don't know which way to turn. And our lives are full and often to a place of overflowing where we don't know which way to turn. And there's always those people that seem to get it right. They're irritating. But I think we admire those kind of people. And unfortunately, and we think they're kind of some kind of heroes, but I don't know about you, but I often feel just kind of overscheduled, tense, frenetic, frenetic and, and just fatigued by our life because there's just so much going on. And then we have this technology stuff, which is great on one hand. <laughs> I love technology, but now I can get, people can get hold of me 24-7. I, I, I've got these schedules and I've got these to-do lists. And I know there's people that love to-do lists in this church and they've got all these things up on their fridge and all kinds of stuff. Um, but in their technology, it, it reminds them, hey, you've got to get this done. You've got to do this. Yeah, and there's fingers pointing to spouses all over the place. <laughs> but the problem is, is in this productivity, it's actually counterproductive. Because we think we've been productive, but we just end up exhausted. I don't know if that's just me. And I'm speaking just for me because this preacher's coming from the heart. And it's coming from a place of weakness, not from a place of strength. So please hear what I'm saying this morning. Is, is not like, yes, I've got this right. But I believe God has shown me some stuff over these last couple of months that I, I believe is, is leading me into a place of more and more freedom. And I don't know about any of you, but I feel guilty when I've got nothing to do. And I know some people don't get that. But I, I, I do. I'm like, I should be doing something. When I, when I came into ministry, reading my Bible, I felt guilty. This isn't work. I'm studying the Word of God. This isn't work. And it's never been work for me. It actually, I, I love it. It's, it's, my, it's my favorite place is to go into my study and study the Word of God. It's been one of the most frustrating things over the season is not getting the time that I want to. So, saying to Rich the other night, I will never take for granted full-time ministry ever again. Working and leading a church is not for the faint-hearted. And it's so frustrating because I'm not able to, I'm not able to study my Greek. <laughs> I'm not able to, to really pull and chew on and work on it and and I'm preparing preachers to, I'm, I'm reading the word of God to preach rather than just reading it to, you know what I'm saying? Busyness is addictive. You get this adrenaline drive and you go for it and you get swallowed up in the blizzards of your life. Well, maybe not you, but that's me. And then you get an unexpected blizzard, an unexpected storm. And Anthony spoke really well about that last week and it'd be a good sermon to listen to if you haven't. We need the ropes to get home. We need the ropes to get to safety. Paul said to me this week, we, were, we had our, our staff meeting, and it was one of our first four-hour staff meetings. It was amazing. And uh, we shared the word of God. We prayed, and we, we, we declared stuff, and then we did some stuff on our websites, and we just loved it. And we were talking about this and what I was going to preach on. And Paul said this, you know, God will bless your busyness. Your, your, sorry, God will bless your business, not your busyness. But the enemy will bless your busyness. Because he keeps you distracted from what, he wants you, what God wants you to do. And so, as I said, the rope God gives us is two things. It's called the daily office and the Sabbath. And these are so counter-cultural counter, counter to who we are, how we live in this Western society. And we don't get it because, you know, we, we think that by taking time out, it's a negative thing. But this is a powerful declaration I'm going to show you this morning. They're taking a Sabbath and understanding what a Sabbath is, understanding what a daily office is, is a powerful declaration about who God is in your life, about yourself, and about the values and the beliefs that you have, and about the relationships that you have around you. These are these resting moments, this reorientation around eternal destiny, 
around a focus on God, about a face-to-face time with God. Remember that a goal of any spiritual practice is all about a loving and abiding union with Jesus. I've just read it. Abide in me. Abide in me and you will produce much fruit. I want to be somebody that people can come and pick fruit off me. That I'm somebody that has got fresh bread for people. That when they come to me, that I, I give them something of sustenance. not the stale bread that I had last month. Many of us are walking around with the stale bread in our lives. And so what we're talking about this morning is a fresh perspective. It's about abiding in Jesus. It's about a clarity and a centeredness and allowing Jesus access into your heart. A Sabbath and a daily offer should not be a have to. If it is a have to, it's boiled down to legalism. But it comes to a place of this I want to. And when we have this want to, what happens is we get the unforced rhythms of grace. Where we start to work and rest. Start to work and we rest. And we rest in God and God works while we rest. You know, Adam and Eve legitimately worked in the garden, but they also legitimately, in the cool of the day, stepped back. And one in every seven stepped back and looked at the work that they had done. Why? Because that's what the Father had done. It was this process of this act of accomplishing stuff, but stepping back. It was this process of action, passivity. This process of striving and then letting go. This process of doing all that we can do and then being carried for a while. And it's this rhythm that God has called us into that I believe in the Western world we have lost. We are called to be transformed into the image of God, aren't we? God worked six days and rested one. So when we do the same thing, what we are doing is we are displaying the image and the character of who God is. How many of you take an honest degree Sabbath once a week? 24 hours. Hands up. One. See, what we do is when we take that moment to stop, and I'm going to show you in a moment, we engage our mind, our emotions, our thoughts, we engage our bodies, we engage who we are, and we come into the presence of God and He changes us. He's the one that comes and wise us for Himself. <laughs> he wise us with who He is. So that when we meet other people, we start to give of who he is. I don't know about you, but I've been taught throughout my, my Christian life, have a quiet time. On one level, hey, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bashing that. I'm saying, hey, tick. Hey, what do we do? Well, we come to a quiet time and we read the scriptures in the morning before we go to work. And we, we make sure that we have this moment with God. And then we go out. But by lunchtime, I'm not even aware of God. And in fact, by dinner time, <laughs> my Christianity isn't really been actively shown to anybody, especially my kids and my wife. It doesn't work, does it? I don't know about you, but I've tried it my whole life. It doesn't work. And then we have this quiet time because we want this great day. And then we have a kakapuvi wee day. And we go, oh, it's not working. Because why? Because I put my card into the ATM and I'm supposed to get cash. God, I put my quiet time in. Where are you? It's the traditional thing that just doesn't work for me. has never worked for me. Yet God has given us these ropes, this daily office, the Sabbath, they take us back to him to live in this rhythmic and joyful communion with him amidst the blizzards and the storms and the whiteouts in our lives. So what is the daily office? Well, let's go for it. What it's not, <laughs> it's not getting filled up for your day. So let's settle that right now. It's not interceding for the needs that you see around you and it's, 
not turning to God to get something. How many times in our quiet times, I don't know about you, but I've got this list that I want God to sort out. On top of the list, just sort out Louise. Just sort out my kids. Just sort out those people at church, please. Oh, and I, 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 I need some more money, please, God. And, 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 I, and I need this job, and I, and, I, and I need, and I want. And we come in, I don't know about you, but if my kids can't, and they do do this to me sometimes. I'm sitting there, and they'll come to me into the lounge, and they'll go, Dad, I need this, I need this, I need this. Thanks, cheers. Where's Jordan? Is he here? Or is he, is he escaped? It's his birthday in a couple of weeks' time. Dad, Dad, I, I want this, I want... I, I, really? And who do you think is going to pay for that? No, Dad, that's what I want. Okay. But we do the same thing with our Father God, don't we? Come into his presence, God... And, uh, Gary, uh, okay, just want to tell you I love you. <laughs> but anyway, have a good day. Off I go. Not aware of God, not aware of anything else that's going on around me. Having a terrible day or even a good day, God's in my far distant whatever. I spoke to him this morning. Get to the end of the day, fall flat, watch TV, go to sleep. I think many of us are in that place. So what is it? The daily office is this thing or this key, this secret that unlocks paying attention to God. It's this process of being carried into his presence and being aware of him throughout the day and allowing that rhythm of the practicing of his presence to just start to build in us on a day-to-day basis. You know, David practiced prayer seven times a day. So well, where is that? Well, go to Psalm 119 verse 164 if you don't believe me. It says, seven times a day I praise your name. He stops. He becomes aware of God seven times a day. Now, most of us are awake how many hours a day? Yeah, 14 to 16 hours a day. So every two hours, David is getting up and praising God. He's taking a moment to be aware of God. Daniel prayed three, three times a day, Daniel 6 verse 10. And the devout Jews over the time that Jesus was alive here on earth prayed three to four times a day. We look at our Muslim friends, how many times they pray per day. And I always used to go, what, the, what are you doing? We've got things to do. When I was an audit senior and I had guys who were Muslim in my team and, and then oh, sh- five, 12 o'clock on Friday, they're gone. I'm like, what the? At Deloitte's, we had a, a, a Christian prayer room and we had a Muslim prayer room. They closed the Christian prayer room down because it wasn't being used. What an indictment to us. Hey? What an indictment to Christianity. So Jesus must have followed this. And I remember in my, <clears throat> when I... My last couple of years at Deloitte, when God was calling me into ministry, but it, it wasn't that. It was, it was the fact that I was starting to, I realized I got this rhythm. I hate traffic. I have traffic demons that, that come on me when I see traffic. It's like red lights. It's more fussy moment for me. So I used to leave early, 6 o'clock, get out, get to work. And, and what I used to do is I used to arrive there nice and early. The Deloitte's offices, as you know, are in the Woodlands office park. They've got animals there. It's a nice kind of green wooded area with, with decks and uh, you, great places to go sit and silence and solitude. And I used to do this often, a number of times a week. Go and walk along the paths and pray and just commune with God and enjoy Him. And I didn't realize what God was doing inside of me. What we don't realize in these moments, in these moments, God starts to do stuff in us. And it's not evident right away. 
But it starts to build up, and it's like this water table just starts to get up and up. And all of a sudden, you start to think more clearly. You start to make good decisions. And, you, and what happens? In that moment, I get asked onto eldership at New Covenant Church, Bryanston, and then asked into full-time ministry, not knowing where we were going to pay for things because my salary more than halved. And it was easy. It wasn't like, oh, what are we going to do? No, it's easy. Amongst my friends saying, Gary, you've been a little bit uh, irresponsible with your family. No, it was easy because God had spoken and I was with them. And what it did was it eliminated the sacred and secular. Many of us are, he has the sacred quiet time. Okay, now let me go into my secular world. I'll see you later, God. Maybe. So what are the, the central elements of this daily office? Well, number one is stop. In fact, let me say it like this. Are there any babies that are sleeping? Stop! Sorry if there were some that were sleeping. Now, the thing about this is that everyone's going to have something different. My, my personality, my, my, my daily office is going to look different. Louise's is going to look different. They look vastly different in terms of how we spend time with God. Louise has got a journal, and she's got all this stuff, and Lee made this for her birthday, and she's going to have all these colors, and Dale's similar, all these artsy-fartsy people. And <laughs> mine, I'm like, it's just, it's easy. It's on my iPad, and it's under my journal, and I'm not saying that negatively. It's just the way it is. <laughs> Mine's quite structured. Luis is quite loose. Every one of you will have a different type of way of expressing this. And so be free in that. Don't try and be like me. Don't try and be like somebody else. I love listening to preachers. I love taking notes around preachers. I love my voice. I was singing too loud this morning. I love just unpacking a Greek word and understanding where the roots come from and what it means and how it can be expressed into our, my context. But some of you go, Gary, that would bore the living daylights out of me. That's fine. It's the way I do it. You do it differently. And what I'm saying is there's a freedom. What the key here is is regular. A couple of times a day, take that moment to stop. Don't be hurried. It might be five minutes. It might be ten. It might be, it might be half an hour. But take the time just to go. Go read a text. Go and just be in God's presence. God, I don't want, I don't want anything from you. I just, want, I just want to be aware of you. I want to breathe in your presence. That accounting cloth, I wanted a headbutt, Lord. To take it out of my, just, still my frustration. I'm going to breathe you in, Lord. Boom. I've just had my daily office. 30 seconds. No, 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 it has to be this length of time. No. Regular time. Throughout the day. Engaging God. Unhurried. I give up control, and in that moment, if it's half an hour, I'm letting God take care of what's ever happening in the office space. I think he's big enough to take care of it. Number two, centering. We did that just as we ended the worship. What is that? Be still and know that I'm God. Or Psalm 37 verse 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait for him patiently. It's the centering. It's letting go of the distractions, all of what's going down. It's like what I've just done. It's... Maybe even just get in touch with your breathing. Don't let your mind wander. Get rid of all the distractions and whatever else. Say, God, I just want to speak. I just want to, not even speak. I just want to listen. I want to just be in your presence. Stopping. Sit down. Be attentive. Breathe slowly. Close your eyes. Silence and solitude. Now, some of this daily office can be done with other people. But prayer, that kind of stuff. But in this moment... There are times of silence and solitude where Dallas Willard says silence and solitude are the two most radical disciplines in the Christian life. And as a Western world, we've lost it. We don't do this. I don't do this. 
Henry Nowen says, without solitude, it is impossible to live out a spiritual life. Wow, that's quite a statement. So solitude is this practice of being absent from people and things in order to engage and attend to God. Let me say that again. Solitude is the practice of being absent from people and things to attend to God. Silence is the practice of quietening every inner and outer voice to attend to God. So in those moments, you stop. Get all that clutter away. I don't know about you, I can feel God's presence right now. Lastly, Scripture. The Psalms are amazing. They're like a prayer book. They have every aspect of emotion and experience of life that any one of us goes through. We experience God in all of, David did all of it, and we can go there. There's anger, there's, there's, there's frustration, there's disappointment, there's love, there's exaltation, there's praise. And we can come to that moment, and we can take it in, and we can read the Psalms. Then we have the Sabbath. Now, the word Sabbath in Hebrew is to cease or to stop from working. It's to give a unit of time in the context of the Hebraic understanding. It was 24 hours to set apart, to consecrate it before God. And our culture, like I said, knows very little about setting 20. Clearly, one out of, I don't know, maybe 100 people. I don't think we're doing very well in that regard. But without the Sabbath, guess what? We get lost spiritually in the blizzards of our life. On one hand, the Sabbath is a command. Now you say, yeah, but under, uh, this is me. Yeah, but under the New Testament, under the New Covenant, the Sabbath isn't, isn't something we have to follow. I mean, go to Colossians 2. There Jesus says, no, no blood moon festivals, Sabbath, and a Christ is your rest. Christ is my rest. I don't need to take a Sabbath. I don't need to rest. I don't need to take 24 hours and just do nothing. I mean, come on. That's irresponsible. And yet, what it's saying here is it's, Actually, if you read the scriptures, no, Sabbath is a command. It's part of the rhythms of work and rest. But it's also this incredible invitation to come and commune with God. You know, the Sabbath was instituted. The Israelites come out. Now, if you picture the scene, 400 years. 400 years of slavery. These guys are working themselves to the bone. Pharaoh is even taking the, 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 the straw out of the bricks that they're making. They are working hours and hours and hours, and then they come out into the desert, and Moses says, no, one in seven, you do nothing. I'm doing that to you right now, and I'm saying, how radical would it be that as a community of life us that we take one in seven and we rest? Not, legal, not legalistically, in relationship, in context, that we take some time out, 24 hours of every single week. What did it how amazing would that be? See, the Israelites' identity was in work. But it's not different from us, is it? All of our, when we meet up with people in our Western world, hey, yeah, no, how are you? Yeah, gee, where do you come from? What do you do? Even the new folk that come into the church, I find myself asking, what do you do? <laughs> Why? Because when they tell me that, uh, oh, they're, they're, they're a judge in the Supreme Court, my understanding of who they are changes quite a lot. And I start to watch how I say things. Our whole culture is based on what we do. It's where our identity is found. And so in the same way, what Moses did and what God did with the Israelites, okay, now you're going to stop. What do you mean stop? You mean do nothing? Yes, nothing. You mean nothing? No, no, nothing. 
See, behind Pharaoh are demonic forces. That's clear. It's from the Bible. Behind our busyness are demonic forces. Behind the world system are demonic forces. And you know what they were trying to say? They were trying to say, when you take a Sabbath, you are showing the rest of the world what do free people do? They rest. Even while we are sleeping, we rest. We rest in God. Now the world will say, but there's nothing measurable. You sit there and you listen to God. What? You know, uh, no, no. What do you do? No, there's nothing. There's no productivity. There's no whatever. So what's the point in taking time out? And we fail to see the value of simply spending time with God and doing nothing. And the problem is we, we, we focus on the doing nothing, but it's actually not doing nothing. See, the, the Sabbath is primarily not about us. It's about God. It's about being with Him. It's about being transformed by Him. And the greatest danger in all of this, and I've already said it, is legalism. That now we make sure that we do this, and we, we tell our kids this, that, and that, and we put it on, and everybody hates one another because we've got to do this. But the key is, is to set this regular rhythm of the Sabbath, to allow it to flow, this one in seven days, this 24-hour block, the what the Jews used to do was 6 o'clock, and they still do it, 6 o'clock, or not 6 o'clock, sundown, Friday, sundown, Saturday. That's the Sabbath. Paul, if you go into Romans 14, says actually it doesn't matter which day. Under the new covenant, it doesn't have to be a specific day. It doesn't matter. Choose whatever day you want, but take the Sabbath. And there's a difference between taking a day off and taking a Sabbath. So hear my heart and hear what I'm trying to say. It's taking a day off and a secular view is, no, I just need to replenish my energy and just kind of get back into it. Why? Because then I can be effective for my other six days and work harder. You know what Eugene Peterson, the author of the message, calls that? He calls that the bastard Sabbath. <coughs> so what are the four principles that I want to show you in terms of the framework for the Sabbath? There's four principles here. Again, it's to stop. <laughs> There's always something more to do, ladies and gents. There's always one more, more goal. There's always one more phone call. There's always one more person to see. But guess what? You will die with some of those things never being accomplished. When you take your last breath. Some of you will say, oh, I'll do that. I'll get back to my Sabbath when my kids grow up. And I understand as moms, trust me. I've seen it. I can't always empathize with it. But I understand it and I see it. Some of you moms bringing kids to church, you feel like a glorified babysitter. But don't. Don't, don't underestimate bringing your child into a corporate presence of God and the impact it has on their lives. It's hard, I understand. Maybe some of you are saying, when I make more money, <laughs> or when I do this, when I get this job, then, then, then I'll do it. No, 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 there's always a when I. The time is now. There's never a good time to, to, to stop. See, ultimately, it's a, it's a trust issue. Do, do I trust God? Do I trust Him enough to stop? Do I trust God enough to stop that he will even work while I'm sleeping, the Bible tells me? Do, do we trust God enough to stop? There's a story of a, 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 a train, a wagon train of Christians, um, and I don't know which century it was, but obviously when there was horse, wagon, wagon trains. And they were moving from a place called St. Louis up to Oregon. And on their way through, they realized that the, that the pace that they were going, that they were not going to get to Oregon in time, and winter was going to come, and it was going to be pretty tough to get through the snow with their wagons. And what they were doing was they were taking the Sabbath. Every six days they would rest. They would take camp, and they would stop, and they would do the stop. So what happens is some of the guys come up, and you, you know, you've always got one. 
And, and they come up and they say, no, we're not going to make it. So let's stop having the Sabbath and let's keep traveling for goodness sake. Because if we get caught in the winter, we're all going to die anyway. And the leaders of that particular wagon train said, actually, no, we're not. We're going to keep taking the Sabbath. But if you really feel like that, and there's a whole bunch of you, then why don't you go and you do your own journey and we'll do our journey? Cool. Because, yeah, we don't want to get caught in it. You guys are going to die. So, so off they go. And this wagon train does their thing and doesn't take the Sabbath. Guess who arrived in Oregon six days before the other one? The ones who took the rest. So we have this mindset. Go, 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 go. I can't remember, and it's not in my notes, but I, I preached on the Sabbath some years ago, and I went to the, the CRR had um, statistics on taking uh, holidays and then working and the effectiveness. After you take a week's holiday, you become kind of between 85 and 95% effective in your work. By 14 weeks, you are down to under 60%. By over 20 weeks, you are down to under 50% of your effectiveness. So it's that good old Stephen Covey, Seven Habits, sharpen the sword, dummy. There's the guy who's trying to cut down the tree, and he's going, and he's going, and he's going, and he's going. And the guy says, why don't you stop? Why? Well, sharpen the sword, you dummy. It'll take you one-tenth of the time. But we just keep going, and we just keep going. Do you trust him enough to stop? Do you embrace the limits that God has put on you? Spoke about that two weeks ago, if you want to go and listen to that. God does a great job without us, by the way. And part of taking a Sabbath is God saying to all of us, I'm in charge, not you. And actually, it takes the pressure off. Secondly, rest. God rested after he worked. My problem is when I take a day off, what do I do? I do admin, personal admin. I pay the bills. I run around trying to do stuff. I worry about this. I, I think of what the decisions I can make. I plan. No, no. We need to be doing that outside of the Sabbath day. What else do we need to rest from? <laughs> Technology. I wonder if in our households we switched off every bit of technology for 24 hours, how that would go. We're, we're working towards that. Seriously, we are. And guess what? We played 30 seconds the other night. We played bingo the other night. The kids had more fun in that time than playing on their iPads. We're having another, as we have date nights, we've got another family night this evening. So this afternoon, early, get the kids ready for school. We're going to have a time of devotions. Thebibleproject.com is amazing videos for kids and for adults, in fact. Go look at that. And then have some time of praise and worship, and then we're going to play games. Why? Because we want to engage each other. And my Sabbath starts tonight. I'm on this journey, folks. See, when we stop and we rest, we respect both our humanity and we respect God. And the problem is when we don't respect our humanity and we don't honor the limits that God's given us, we land up sick. And then we have to stop because we have to stop. Delight. Thirdly, why is it that uh, we associate delight with sin? Yet God is the author of delight. Why? He, six days he worked and then he stood back. Oh, this is amazing. This is very good. Why don't we do the same? Throughout the week, throughout the days, stop back. Look at, what I, look at what I've done. Even though it may be small, let me stop and say it is good. Why? Because it was a work of my hand with the motivation of faith 
that won't burn up in eternity. You know, on the Sabbath is to delight in it, is to, when you have a meal, take it all in. It's like often when I come and I present in, in, in the secular forum, and I used to do that a lot with Deloitte's, is I say, treat it like a pork chop or a lamb chop. Those people who eat it with a knife and fork, shame. <laughs> Pick it up. Get all the stuff on the bone. That's where all the tasty stuff is. Lap it up when, you, when you're having your Sabbath meal with your family and with friends and with whatever. Enjoy it. Think of the, the aromas and the tastes. Do a ratatouille moment. Hey, Derek, I call him Remy. Because Derek's got this ability to bring out taste in food. And you remember that when he tastes it and there's this popping and the colors and the... Stop and delight in what God has given us. Stop and... Delight in the visible things of creation that talk about the invisible God and also talks about the eternity for which we have and what we are going to be living in. Evans just had his eyes done. That's why he looks like the mafia this morning. But part of it is he's going, look at the colors. God wants to open us up to the beauty of creation that he has in store for us. Not just here, but actually it's talking of what is to come. Stop for a moment. And enjoy it. The beauty of, of these massive oak trees. The beauty of the clouds that we see and the storm clouds. They are magnificent. The beauty of sitting next to a, a stream and letting it trickle and the noise. We don't stop to smell the roses. Taste and see that the Lord is good. William Blake said to see a world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wild flower. Do we do that? Do we stop and look at the meter, square meter that we're sitting on and watch the activity of the insects around us? The blaze of grass, the little wild flowers that are sitting there. Do we delight in people that in that moment there's this unexpected conversation on our Sabbath as we go to the shop and we get something and we are that contemplative presence to those people? Do we take time to just have the healthy play? You know what I love? One, I love exercise. It does something for me. I, I love my swimming. But most times I'm getting to the gym, I'm getting to the water, I'm getting out and I'm rushing off to the next thing. But on the day of Sabbath, I go and I stretch. I do my core muscle activities. I take 15, 20 minutes to get into the pool. I finish up, get out, go have a smoothie. Don't have anywhere to go. Unhurried. What about going to an art museum? Gazing upon the beauty of the artistic work of somebody's hand. Lastly, contemplate. The whole purpose of a Sabbath is to engage God, not just take a day off. Engage God in your worship, in time with God's people, to feast on His presence, to read, to study His Word, to engage Him on multiple levels. And like I said, it's to see the invisible gods in the gifts of the visible creation that He's given us. There's something about when we're in that Sabbath moment that it gives us perspective of our small little lives on the impact of eternity. It settles us. And here's the thing that I would say. If you're going to do a Sabbath, prepare for a Sabbath before the Sabbath. Know what you're going to do. Decide on how you're going to go about it. Buy the food for the meal that you're going to have. Decide on what time you're going to bed. 
Decide on what you're going to do in times of your times of silence and solitude. Decide on what you need for those moments. So that you're not in that moment going, oh, where's my pen? Where's my, where's my iPad? Where's my journal? No, no, it's all there waiting for you. It's all set. There's no other stress. There's no unhurried. In terms of the meal, do you know the mess? Go and research what it is to light a candle. Why do the Jewish people have those candles? It's talking about the light of the world. It's talking about Jesus, actually. God spoke the world into being. Go, go, go read the actual prayers that the Jewish people speak over those moments. With Alexander Fenzer, when we did our spiritual formation, and that's what we did at the end, and he, he, he spoke it in Hebrew, and he went through it, and he described it, and he lit, lit the candles. Do that as part, not as a ritual, but as a, as a declaration of the light of the world has come in. Jesus, we acknowledge you as part of this moment, as part of this meal, and we celebrate, and we're going to enjoy the food, and we're going to take the pork chop, and we're going to eat it with our hands. And we're going to laugh, and we're going to speak blessing over our kids, and blessing over each other. And we're going to declare your goodness over us. And we're going to declare what you did for us during the week. Thank you, Lord. That is an accountant. I don't have to look at an overdraft tomorrow. <laughs> give thanks. Amen. And give thanks. Amen. A.J. Herschel, a rabbi, says this. The meaning of the Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. Six days a week, we live under the tyranny of things, of space. On the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to the holiness in time. It is a day on which we are called upon to share what is eternal in time. In turn, from the, in turn, from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of this world. What an amazing paragraph. So I, I know, I understand. The, the Israelites felt the same way. <laughs> 400 years, what do you mean stop? What do you mean rest? What do you mean delight? What do you mean contemplate? 24 hours? Are you kidding? No, God has put that into place as the rhythm of work and of rest. How about making a plan for the next two months of taking a Sabbath? And maybe take baby steps. Maybe take 12 hours to start with. I think we could all do 12 hours. Plan it. Work it out. Spend time with your, and celebrate those small wins that you have in those moments. And start to build up this process. Start to create a container that works for you. You personally, you for your family, you within the context of this community. The one thing that as a pastor I've seen happen is people get themselves so busy. Guess is what the first thing that goes? Community. No, I can't come to church today to be part of the community because I've got this to do. I'm going to show you in a moment what I think we should be doing. We need a lot of grace. It's trial and error. It's dynamic. It's a no obligation day that infuses the rest of our other six days that we live in. Another quote, Thomas Merton. There is a pervasive form of contemporary violence, activism and overwork. The Russian pressure of the modern life or a form, perhaps the most common form, of its innate violence. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to, to surrender to many demands, to commit oneself to many projects, to want to help everyone and everything, is to succumb to violence. It kills the root of the inner wisdom, which makes our work fruitful. Wow. That hit me. Because I want to help everyone. 
I want to be at everything. And when I'm not at this and I'm not at that, and as a pastor, I want to be with this person and I want to meet with this person. But there's only part of me that I can give. And my biggest gift to you is to take a Sabbath. My biggest gift to my wife and my kids is to take a Sabbath. So, great, Gary. If, if this is not taking a Sabbath is doing violence to myself, what does that do? What it means that I'm unable to love people because the only way I can love you the way that God wants me to love you is to be with him, the one who is love. So how do we do this? I'm glad you asked that question. Is that there's a thing called the rule of life. It's a spiritual formation plan. How many of you have got a plan for your lives? Just your, your object, your, your goals and vision for your life. Who's got a mission statement and goal? Okay, read. How many of you have got a spiritual formation plan? One. Again, we, we, we failed two. Okay, we're better than the other one of taking the Sabbath. This is a conscious plan that what it does is it enables to maintain a rhythm of work and life with God. Where was it found? Well, go and research it. It's on the net. It was from our desert fathers. You know, what happened, and I've mentioned this before, is that the, um, the Roman Empire was taken over or led by Constantine. Remember, Nero was before that, and he burned Christians and tigers and lions and eating and all kinds of stuff. Now what happens is, is Constantine takes over and he says, no, Christianity is the Roman religion. And all the Christians go, yes, uh, no. Because what happened was they took the culture of Rome and they put it onto Christianity. So these were the desert fathers who went, hold on a second. We don't want to be part of that. We're going to go seek God and we're going to create a community that has the rhythms, unforced rhythms of grace around contemplation around God. And so these are the guys who put this plan together. And you know what the word here, which talks about rule, it's the word trellis in Greek. What does a trellis do? Trellis allows a creeper to crawl up. On its own, a creeper can't get up. It's like, help me, pick me. I'm not going to get up. But if you put a trellis down, the creeper is able to climb up. This is what this is. It's to say, this is the rule of life. This is our rule of life. This is my rule of life. Hey, Gary, we've got a party on tonight. Well, sorry, I can't be there. Why? Because if I come to that party, I've realized that's going to impact my life around this. Do I want to be there? Yes, I do. But my rule of life means that I cannot be there because I've chosen this. Okay, get involved in this job. Okay, if I get involved in this job, I've got to let this one go. Why? Because my rule of life says this. How many of us do that? I don't. I just keep adding. And then I'm wondering why I'm walking around like this and falling over at the end of each day. Now, my rule of life with my wife, with our kids, this is what we are committing to for this season. And you know what? It's dynamic. It changes. This week, this month, next month, next year. And that's the beauty of it. But within it, we are conscious of what is impacting our world so that we can live out the life conscious of God and aware of God and aware of what he is calling us to. So, behind all our distractions, behind all of what's coming are demonic powers, whether you believe it or not. They are pulling us away from God. They don't want us to abide in Christ. I read the scripture, and I'm not going to read it again. I wonder if we all took the first steps towards a rule of life. We took the first steps towards that office date with God, regular office dates with God, that office time. And we took a Sabbath 
yeah, we'd be challenging and resisting the culture that we live in. But more than that, we'd be challenging and resisting the demonic powers that work in our lives. Why don't you change for me, Lee? I don't know why it stopped. One more. The whole point of my message is if we are not taking time out to be aware of God every day, regularly, not out of a legalism, but out of a wanting to, and you know what, when you start to do this, you want to keep doing it because when you taste of God, you taste and see that He is good. When you take the Sabbath and you work it out 24 hours of every week, that you stop, that you rest, that you delight, that you contemplate, and you live a life of contemplation, the complaint, com- contemplative life. It is the best gift that you can be to this community. It's the best gift that you can be to your spouse, to your friends, and to your family. Let's be the gift God's called us to be. And let's rest. Let's cease from work. Not out of a legalism, but because God has put that in place as a rhythm of work and life. Won't you stand with me, please? So, Father, you know the lives we lead in this busy city. We love Johannesburg, Josie, Joyburg. We can name her in various ways. We love the city. We love this country. That's why we stay here. You've designed the places and the times in which we would live. You have ordained this time. Lord, we stand as men and women, Lord, who find ourselves distracted, and pulled away from abiding in you because of the way that we lead our lives. Lord, I pray this morning is a moment where we stop. I pray for everybody here that we, we stop and we just consider what has been said this morning. Yes, Lord. And Lord, that we learn the art of taking the Sabbath and taking our office time. And engaging you and being aware of you. And abiding in you to produce much fruit that others can come and eat off us. Thank you, Lord, that you work while I sleep. I know that, Lord, this is about trusting in you. So, Lord, right now, we just want to worship you. just want to stop again. We still want to know that you're God. We love you. Exalt you as the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.